This is a special edition podcast for Veterans Day. In this podcast, we'll hear from a couple of our volunteers who also served in the armed forces. They'll tell us a little bit about their service, what they've experienced serving in the armed forces, and then also about the research they're doing for this project. Super excited. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. The first person I interview in this podcast is Dennis Dupra. He's an absolute amazing wealth of knowledge. It's so awesome to be able to talk to him, and I hope you're excited to hear his amazing story of his service and some stories he's been finding along his journey. My name is Dennis V. Dupra. I currently reside in Anchorage, Alaska. Can you tell us a little bit about your time in the service? Yeah, I was I was in the Army. I enlisted in the Army in October of 1988, and I, um, I enlisted in New Jersey, of all places, about a block away from my grandma's house. And I enlisted and became a par- airborne infantryman, a paratrooper, and I was assigned to Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment of the 82nd Airborne Division in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I served as an enlisted soldier paratrooper for almost four years, about three years, three years and uh, four months. Um, while I was, in, I was in the 82nd, I was from in there from 1988 to 1992, uh, 1988 to 1992. Um, I got out as an E4 specialist. Um, I was uh, in the first, I was in the 82nd during Panama. I didn't go to Panama. My unit didn't rotate, but I went to the first Gulf War and I served in the first Gulf War. I was there. I was on the third plane, about the third or fourth plane to land when they decided to send troops. Um, I was there for all of Desert Shield and all of Desert Storm to the end. And we came back in March. Um, I was an infantry guy. I carried and, and, and as an infantry guy, that's who does the fighting, uh, we were in the desert. And there were different plans and uh, that went on. When we first got there, we went up to the border to defend Saudi Arabia. We were near the Kuwaiti border. And then we rotated off the border. And then we went out, we- uh, out west, out in the western desert. And when we the ground war started, they assigned my division, my brigade, to uh, the far left with the French army. So we uh, invaded western Iraq with um, the French 
6th uh, Blondie, the 6th the Blondie, the 6th French Light Armored Division. So we went north with them on our left, and uh, we did about 72 hours of operations. We, there was a little, a little fighting here and there before the ground war started uh, on the border with the Iraqis, and then we went north, and we took, there was two towns, I can't remember their name, one town, and this other big ridge line we took, and uh, then there was a ceasefire, and then we came back. And then after that, I, I was in the 82nd still, um, and then I was, I got an early out to go back to school. I was in college previously, and I was at the Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia. And um, I, how I say this, Virginia is a different type of place for most people who don't know it. Uh, it's been around since 1839. Um, it's got a lot of history. And uh, I finished my rat year, that's what they call freshman there. And uh, I finished my rat year, and uh, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, going to VMI is kind of like going to Ranger School, Marine Corps Basic, and your first year of college all thrown into one. It's a good time for those who can survive. And um, I, uh, I failed calculus and chemistry with equal dexterity, and that's one of the reasons I, was, I wound up enlisted. And after the first Gulf War, they let me, basically VMI kind of wrote me a letter, and I had to take some courses in summer school, but I was readmitted after my enlisted tour. And then... I was in the Virginia Army National Guard in the 116th Infantry, Virginia Infantry. And for some of the people who I know write these stories that are familiar with the 116th, they were in the first wave at Normandy, along with uh, the 16th of the 1st Infantry Division. They're the guys you see in the newsreels and in Saving Private Ryan with the blue and the uh, gray and blue uh, circle on their helmets. Uh, they took the big casualties. The Bedford boys were 116th. Um, so that, that regiment has a long history. Fought in World War I as well. And goes all the way through the Civil War to uh, all the way to the American Revolution. And um, while I was there, I, I eventually got commissioned. And then I got sent up here in, to Alaska. And I was an infantry, leader, infantry platoon leader in Alaska with the regular army with the 17th Infantry. Um, was a platoon leader, did some times as an operation, assistant operations officer, and did some other things. And I, then I got out and uh, I worked for the state of Alaska. I still do. And eventually I joined the National Guard and I served in the National Guard up here. And I deployed as an officer, as an infantry officer, to Iraq uh, to 2006 to 2007. And I was embedded as a military advisor to a foreign military contingent in Iraq, to the Mongolian Armed Forces. So there were two Alaskans and 100 plus Mongolians in southern Iraq. So you could you could tell who the Alaskans were. They they picked us out pretty pretty easily. And um, I was in the army, and then I, I came back. I stayed from the guard for a while, and then I I my work was a little too much for the, my job and my family in that regard. So I I got out of the guard, but I have uh, probably 13 years of service. So then what brought you to, to writing stories of, of fallen um, World War II? Well, I, I heard your uh, Don talking on um, a podcast about this, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I, I've always had a large interest in World War II and military history in general. Um, my degree at VMI is in history, and uh, I, my concentration was on military history and, and some other things, but mostly military history. Emailed him, and that's how I got started. 
I kind of specialize. Everybody has different interests and a lot of people it's about where they live, which makes sense. Um, and that's kind of similar to, I guess, me. I write about Alaska and then um, I write about the Battle of Attu a lot, casualties from the Battle of Attu uh, for the US 7th Intruder Division because I have a list of all the guys who were killed from that unit, from that battle. And um, I do the Fallen from VMI from World War II as well. And I occasionally do some guys from the 82nd because I was in the 82nd and I'll write some stories about them. So do you have specific stories today that you could share with us? Um, there's a couple. Well, there's one, it's kind of got a veteran connection in a way. This guy's name, and name is William Lander Ireland. And he was known as Buddy. And I came across him on Facebook on a thing about the Aleutians. And it was actually a woman had uh, commented, my uncle died in the Aleutians. And I was, I just messaged her, what was his name? And I looked and I found his name in my list. And she sent me a photo of him, a really nice photo. And most of these guys from 7th, ID, I don't have photos. And I I wrote his his biography or his memorial. He served in the 17th. He was in the anti-armor company for the regiment, which means he manned a 37 millimeter anti-tank gun, which was kind of puny by 1943 against the Germans, but served very well against the Japanese taking out positions or tanks. And he served throughout the campaign um, manning one of those guns, pushing them up, and they were very, uh, the 37s and Atu were very good because the Japanese were engaging us at long range uphill. And you could use them to snipe at the Japanese or fire a uh, uh, high explosive round, and they used them to take out Japanese positions from a distance, from a safer distance. And he fought all the way up across a place called Plevisy Pass, which is named after another uh, officer who was killed from Massacre Bay into, into, we call it now, it's called Sarana, Bay, Sarana Valley, and eventually into a place called Jim Fish Valley, which is named after another uh, colonel who was killed, who was from Alaska himself, too. And um, he was killed on May 29th, or they had the date, it's May 29th or May 30th, he was maybe to the 30th, and he died of wounds, but he was most likely, uh, in, he was a KA or wounded on the 29th when the bonsai charge occurred. His unit was on the the floor around what is now near Chichikov Harbor, which would have been the old Atu village. And that's where the Japanese were penned up at the end. And the entire, it was the first, it wasn't the first bonsai charge, but it was the first entire garrison bonsai charge that occurred in the Pacific. And the remaining survivors of the garrison, there was really a garrison of 2000. Um, they're not sure, they think it was over 400, maybe 500. Um, basically broke into a bonsai charge at 3.30 at night. They overran. One company had been reserved most of the battle and was just kind of, somebody made a mistake and these guys had gone back to eat chow before the final action and they overtook their uh, the guys manning the line fairly quickly and then they hit uh, another company in the 17th that overran them or and they got isolated so that the guys on the the next company that got hit, they, would, they got isolated into small pockets of firepower if they weren't killed and they kept charging and charging overran um basically regimental headquarters killed uh, a couple colonels battalion staff um and they were finally stopped by uh, uh some engineers uh at, at the top of clevisy pass so it's not a battle that's really well known today um it's the um and 
The 17th and the 32nd Infantries both have one battalion left on active service. 17th, they're at Fort Lewis right now. They come under the 2nd Infantry Division currently. And the 32nd um, come under the 10th Mountain Division, their battalion, the remaining battalion in New York, Fort Drum. But they are the last two U.S. Army units to, to see active action on the American continent. So that's kind of a unique thing. That's big. I mean, that's really because when you're talking about this, I I did not know that there was a bonsai attack on American soil. You know, like mm -hmm. you hear about them, you know, on the it, on the Japanese you know, islands of yeah. Okinawa, but you don't you don't hear like that's not something that you learn about. But that's now, big people, news. What people think bonsai charge, you know, the classic example is you, if you watch like the Pacific is a great example at the, the Teneru River, that is, that is a, 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 I guess, a good dramatic representation of one. I've never experienced one, thankfully, but from what I've read and studied, um, Saipan was a huge one, was a very large one at Saipan. So this man that you're telling us about, uh, what's his name again? His name is William Lander Eiler. He was from Ohio. He was known as Buddy. Um, he actually wound up living with his sisters, parents had died and um he grew up around his older his sisters and everybody knew him as buddy and i and the the woman who i was communicating with and her name is wendy fleming she's a veteran herself she was and she served at fort bragg at the same time i did she wasn't in division but she was an air defense artillery officer she was captain and that's kind of why i threw this story out there because it's veteran connected um and they, they 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 were always very proud of Buddy, and I, I guess the sister mourned his death to the day she died. So, and he was unmarried and had no children when he died, which most most of the guys are. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on here again, and just listening to your service and your stories, and it's just always so much fun to learn from you. It just I love it. <laughs> it's like I I love learning about these things and and just. N n realizing what I don't know is is just really inspiring. I, 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 guess, I guess for me, I, I trying to to meld the history side with the personal side, so you know maybe young people and other people can see that they're connected to them. That those soldiers or that whack, she's not. They're not much different than you in many ways. They're really not that much different from you. They're trying to find their way in the world. It was like it was a less technologically complicated world then, but. Um, how do I put this? Humans are still humans. They still have the same issues. The positives and the negatives are still there. I love listening to Dennis. He does an amazing job with all of his research and such a joy to listen to. Tune in next week for part two of this episode where we interview another veteran, um, Bob Joyce. It's, it's a super awesome interview. And subscribe to the podcast so that you can get a notification when that episode goes live.